Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you so very much. It is my joy to be with you here. Happy early Labor Day. I pray this is a wonderful weekend of rest and uh, hopefully uh, restoration for everybody in this room. Uh, but this is the Lord's Day, and I wear a suit because I came to do business with Jesus. I hope you did too. Amen. Yeah, so did Clint Woodard. Amen. Uh, anyway. Jesus doesn't care about what you wore, he cares about your heart. And that's what I hope is open for the word here this morning. Uh, we are in a sermon series we've been in since January, and um, it's been a journey. And we are coming to the end of uh, chapter 16, getting towards the, the final leg of the journey. We've been in a series in, entitled Return to the Upper Room, as we've been leaning in closely to hear the very heartbeat of Jesus from his last words at his last supper. We started in John 13, way back in January. Today we get to the end of John 16 and get ready next week to go into this amazing prayer, the high priestly prayer of Jesus uh, that starts in John 17. And I wanted to pause and take an entire Sunday morning to just focus on John 16. 33, which is our text today. The title of our message this morning, as Jody really set our hearts up well for this, is Overcomers. Overcomers. An overcomer is who you are if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try my best to defend this truth in the next couple of minutes. But I want to start again by giving you something to grasp onto. I want to give you a picture. And forgive me in advance because I know... Not everybody in this room is a fan of the Georgia Bulldogs. So play what if with me for just a minute. Thomas, you could pretend I'm talking about Nick Saban, okay? But for the rest of the people in this room, pretend with me for just a moment that you and I are together in the locker room yesterday. And we're at Sanford Stadium between the hedges and we're getting ready to play the Oregon Ducks. And Kirby Smart comes in with a trophy in his hand. And you think for a minute he's, he's going to show you the trophy from last year's championship season. But no, you look closer and you realize, no, this is the trophy for the upcoming season that hasn't been played yet. And the most interesting thing is as you look closer at the trophy, you realize something. Your name has already been engraved on it and you haven't even played the first snap of the season. What would you do? Coach Smart looks at you and says, it's already been decided. The victory has already been secured on your behalf. Before you even snap the football, you are already a champion. Now go out and play with the understanding that it's already been decided. You are a champion. That is exactly what Jesus Christ is telling us today in John 16, 33. Now, this question comes up, and it's a good question. Well, Bo, if the victory has already been decided, if Jesus already earned a victory that overcomes the world, if he's already defeated sin, hell, and the grave, if he's already given us a place uh, with the Father in the kingdom of God, then why is it that we still have to play out the season? Well, there's two reasons. And the first, I think Southern Baptists get really they, they do a good job of focusing on the first, but not the second. The first is our witness. All right, the reason why even though you are saved by grace through faith, you're promised the gift of eternal life, you cannot earn it, you cannot lose it, but the reason why you still live it out here on earth is because you and I are supposed to take as many people with us to heaven as possible. 
And I think Southern Baptists do a good job of being great commission-focused believers in making sure that we are sharing our faith and bringing other people with us. Here's the second, and don't get this one wrong because I think our denomination does not put enough emphasis on this. God has left us here in this world not just because of our witness but because of our transformation. All right, I've said this week after week. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And again, you cannot be good enough to go to heaven, but God wants your character to be reshaped so that you are prepared to be with him in heaven. How do I know that? The verse I go back to over and over and over again, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what that means. I don't know God's specific will for you today in terms of where you should be going, what you should be doing, what money you should be spending. God has a specific will for everybody in this room that's a little bit different, but there's one thing that I can say without any hesitation whatsoever is God's will for you ultimately in this stage of your life. He wants to make you more like Jesus and he will enable you to go through some of the most painful trials there are if he knows that's what it's gonna take to change your heart to change your mind, to change your thoughts so that you become more like Jesus every day. But do not forget this. As you and I enter into this battle, okay, going back to the football analogy, as we get ready to take the field for a season that's already been decided, it does not mean that we will not have bumps. It does not mean that we won't have bruises. It does not mean that we will go undefeated. What it does mean is the trophy, trophy has already been secure and our name has already been engraved because through Christ, we are overcomers. All right, what was, what was this, the hymn that we were singing? Faith is the victory that has overcome the world. We are overcomers in Jesus. He has already done all that is needed for us. All right, we are, we are overcomers by him who earned our righteousness, by him who atoned for our sins, by him who gave us his Holy Spirit, by him who is preparing a place for us and is coming back to get us to make all things new. So how do I, how do I put the... This, this idea in one sentence, the big idea, so that we can grasp this as we walk into this one verse together. In one sentence, here it is. By grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have a peace that overcomes the world. By grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have a peace that overcomes the world. And I want to talk about that peace and I want to talk about our identity as overcomers. All right, I, I really want us to grasp this today. I think if we can get a hold of this, it will change the way that we're living for Christ right now. So if you have a Bible and you want to know how you are an overcomer in Christ, would you join me by turning to the book of John? Again, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verse 33, and we're going to hunker down on that one verse and if you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on page 1073 in your pew Bible. And if you would, at this time, join Eddie Jones in standing out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we're in John chapter 16, verse 33. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the apostle John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, giving us the very words of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. We are only overcomers because of our faith in you. You are the overcomer. And in you, we have all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of the victory that you have secured for us. Lord, help us to live in that today. You tell us we're going to have tribulation. Everybody in this room could say amen to that. It's overwhelming. But we have you. And if we have you, we have enough. Lord, help us to focus on that today. Help us to see how, in fact, by grace through faith in who you are and what you have done makes us overcomers, that we have a peace in you that transcends understanding and that faith is the victory that you've already secured. Be with us now, Lord. Make this practical. Take these words and press them deep into our hearts that we would leave here today approaching our trials differently than when we first came in. Be with us now, I pray, in, in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before we get to this idea that we are overcomers, I want to make sure we're all on the same page about a few key words that are mentioned in this one verse. And so we got to go back to go forward. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at a passage where Jesus was warning us that if you're a Christian, the world will hate you. But what does Jesus mean when he says the world? Again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I fully realize in the summertime people are coming and going, so repetition is good for those of you that have been here, and uh, for those that haven't, this will catch you up. All right, in the New Testament, specifically the, 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 the pages of the Bible that were inspired of the Holy Spirit written by John, the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation, John uses the term world a lot. It comes from the Greek word cosmos. But the question is, does he mean the same thing every time? And the answer is no, you've got to read the context to know what he's talking about. So I'll give you, a, for instance, the most famous passage in the New Testament, John three sixteen. the Bible says, for God so loved the world. All right, in that passage, John's talking about people made in the image of God. For God so loved a creature named human beings made in his image that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. But then in 1 John, we're told, do not love the world or the things of the world. So wait a minute. For God so loved the world, but he told us not to love the world. Well, there has to be a difference, and the answer is yes. In one passage, he's talking about people, but in 1 John, he's talking about a system. And it's a system that you were born into. And by the way, it's a system that many of you are still living by. And it's the reason why you don't have the peace that Jesus offers. So what is the system? Well, I think the best passage in the New Testament to help us know what the world is, is 1 John 2, 15 through 16. Here's what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. All right, so summarizing this, what does John mean when he says world? He means a system that is focused on self-pleasure, self-wealth, and self-honor. 
And guess what? Since the day you were born, unless you came to know Jesus and he changed your heart, you've been going after those three things. Since the womb, all right? Babies are seeking nothing but self-pleasure. You, if you're an adult holding that child, you're just an instrument to bring them the pleasure they desire. The only thing is some of us are 50, 60, 70, 80 year olds that are still seeking what we sought in the nursery. Self-pleasure, self-wealth, self-honor. That's the system of the world. The world will seek after those things and they'll have no peace because it's never enough. So that leads us to the word peace. So now we know that world is a self-centered system, but then he says we can have peace. In fact, earlier, a few weeks ago, we looked in John 14, 27, where Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the world teaches this. If you have enough pleasure, if you have enough wealth, if you have enough honor, you will have peace because you'll finally be able to avoid the trials in life that everybody else has. Only problem with that is, take a good look at the people in our world who have the most pleasure, the most wealth, and the most honor. If Jesus ain't in it, peace ain't coming. I've seen people that are the wealthiest on planet earth and they are so miserable because they just can't figure out why they cannot take that wealth and use it to produce a peace that can only come from God. And by the way, let me just say this. Pleasure, wealth, and honor are not sinful by themselves. For those that know and love Jesus Christ, they can experience pleasure as God decides to give it to them in his timing and in his way. All right, wealth can be something that people can use to the glory of God. Oh my goodness, we need wealthy people in the kingdom who care nothing for stuff. And honor. God sometimes decides to bring honor upon those whom he knows will use that honor and turn it back to bring him glory. The problem is when we make that the pursuit of our life, we are sucked into the system of the world and we'll never have peace. We will never have peace. But yet in this passage, it says that we will have peace in Christ who has overcome the world. How is it that we could have that? Well, here's the deal. Jesus Christ must be your substitute to be your savior. Jesus Christ has to be perfect on your account because you and I are not good enough. Jesus Christ has to take on the penalty for our sins because you and I cannot endure it. Jesus Christ has to make a way from death to life and rise from the dead because we ourselves cannot rise from the dead in our own strength. And Jesus Christ had to send down his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we could experience that grace day by day by day. Jesus had to do for you what you could not do for yourself. And in him, not just acknowledging with your mind that he's the Savior, but having union with him as the vine and the branch together have union. When we lean into him and abide in him, he says, in me you will have peace. And why? Because Jesus gives us his victory. He has overcome the world and in him we can overcome the world as well. And how can we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's three aspects of the world that we overcome in Christ and that's what we're gonna look at with the rest of the time we have here this morning. Number one, in Christ we have a peace that overcomes the world's schemes that overcomes the world's schemes. Here's what I mean. 
All right, I love how Jesus says, by the way, in the world you will have tribulation. He's not saying if you have enough faith in me, you'll, you'll avoid it. He says it's coming at you like an unstoppable freight train. Be ready. And here's why I say that. I, you know, I praise God for evangelism because, again, I said that's one of the reasons why we're still here on planet Earth. We need to proclaim the gospel. At the same time, I look at very manipulating evangelists who have not prepared people for what comes after you get saved. I've been to crusades and I've been to revivals where evangelists will say, you know, you're at the end of your rope. Things have gotten so bad, but if you just come down the aisle, if you just pray this prayer, you'll have Jesus and all of a sudden your life is just going to be amazing. And what happens is they do experience a surge of joy. They repent of their sins. They place their faith in Jesus. But you know what happens? The revival ends. The tent is folded up. Life goes on, and you know what? They still have problems. Jesus says, expect it. If you're a Christian, you're not going to avoid problems. You're going to overcome them in Christ. He says, you're going to have tribulation. And the first thing we need to look at again is the world will scheme against us. So I said a few moments ago that the system of the world, all right, is self-pleasure, self-wealth, self-honor. Guess what happens if you are somebody who gets in the way of that? The world is going to scheme against you to remove you from, from being an obstacle. And the reason why is darkness hates light. Darkness hates light. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 3, verse 19. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. A couple of weeks ago, I said it's like a, a teenager who wants to sleep in because he or she's been up all night when they should have been sleeping. And then at 7 a.m., the parents come in and draw the shades. The first thing they're gonna do is turn away from you in condemnation. They don't wanna be anywhere around you. They don't want light. They want the darkness to hide what they were doing the night before. Well, it's the same thing with the world if you live for Jesus and you spend time and money and effort to love God and love others the world will scheme against you the world will try to exclude you from their social gatherings the world will make you the center of your of their ridicule the world will scheme against you the world does not want to be around you all right, because again, if you are of the world, you're going to do whatever you can to get what is yours and you will disregard others or you will use them thinking they're an instrument to get you what you want. Be ready for that. But know that when that happens, you have peace in Christ because he's overcome all of that and you will too. Jesus says in John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Mark it down. Light will always defeat darkness in time. Light will always defeat darkness in time. So yes, if you're living for the Lord Jesus, you will experience tribulation because the system of the world will scheme against you. Stay faithful. Faithful to Christ. Cling to that hope. Don't join the world in seeking those things. Again, know that Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But I want to go a step deeper. That's number one. I want to look number two now at, at in Christ, we have a peace that overcomes the world's stains. The world's stains. So 
Yes, the world's gonna scheme against you. Yes, for people seeking their own wealth and seeking their own pleasure and seeking their own honor, they are going to disrespect you. They are going to disregard you. They're going to steamroll you and they're gonna leave a mark. And the sin that you have in your own life leaves a mark. I wanna talk about three specific marks. The marks of suffering, guilt, and shame. All right, you and I carry those. Even though we've already been redeemed if we're a Christian, we already have our names written on the trophy, you and I still walk around with these things. We walk around with suffering. We walk around with guilt, and we walk around with shame. Now, as far as suffering, we have physical suffering. Trust me, my phone rings off the hook with many of you who are joining me in prayer over physical issues, and it hurts my heart every single time to know how life can just be so overwhelming at times because your quality of life is dwindling. And it's happening to all of us. And if it hadn't happened to you yet, just wake up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror. Our bodies are decaying because we live in a broken world. And we'll experience the tribulation of suffering. But it's not just physical, it's spiritual. We've got, again, light and darkness waging war for our hearts. It's emotional and it's psychological. It's relational. We've got relationships that are stained and and they're they're broken. and It hurts. Then there's guilt. We're guilty before others for things that we've said, thought, and done. And we wrestle with the guilt that we've had before God, before we knew Christ, the things that we've done wrong. And then it's the shame. We walk around and we try to act like we have it all together. We put on our Sunday best and we pray that underneath the suits and dresses, oh, if people could just see behind closed doors, we're a train wreck. We're a mess, all of us. Because sin leaves a stain. But guess what? In Christ, we have a peace that overcomes the stains that overcomes the stains. The blood of Christ is strong enough to overcome the stains of suffering, guilt, and shame. Let me tell you how. First, the blood of Christ is strong enough to overcome suffering. Let me just say this. I don't care what physical problem you have, you'll overcome it in Christ. Now, that does not mean that you'll experience total healing in this world because this world is not your home. Now, he may bring supernatural healing and give you a whole new season of ministry here on planet Earth, but if he doesn't, if he calls you home, guess what you're going to have? Total healing. And I want to address one area because I know how debilitating this is, and it's been coming up so much in my own life. I I can't even count on two, two hands how many people I know that have an immediate family member going through dementia. Everyone in this room knows somebody going through it. It's painful. Can I tell you something? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that person, if they are a believer, they have not permanently lost a single memory. They've not lost anything. There will come a moment when their spirit separates from their body, and the moment that happens, every single memory of their entire life will be immediately restored in full high-definition color for all of eternity. That is a promise from Jesus. And so, yes, that Christian who may be losing their physical mind, they're an overcomer because they're going to get it all back tenfold in the kingdom. If you have other physical issues and you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, well, here's something I'm never going to be able to do again. I can't do it like I did, you know, Toby Keith, right? I'm as good once as I ever was. Well, there's a time where you're not going to be good at all. Well, guess what? You'll get it all back. 
Because you're an overcomer in Christ. You've got to see beyond the threshold of this world. There's nothing that's been taken away from you that you will not get back if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The same with guilt. First of all, you don't need to be worried about your guilt before others. Confess your sins. If you sinned against somebody else, leave it at the altar and leave it with the Lord. And know this, if you're a Christian, you no longer have guilt before God. You've been declared innocent and perfect by his blood. Now, you may have sins that you need to confess to grow in your intimacy with God, but there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We don't need to be walking around guilty if we've been declared perfect by the blood of Jesus. And there's no more shame. Who are we to hide from? So what if the world hates us? We're going to stand before the Redeemer and Creator and Sustainer of the universe, and He's going to declare us a part of the family. We're overcomers. We've overcome suffering, guilt, and shame if we are in Jesus Christ because his blood is rich enough and powerful enough to make us white as snow. That's number two. Third and finally, in Christ we have a peace that overcomes the world's schemes, overcomes the world's stains. Third, it overcomes the world's sentence. Why do I say sentence? Guess what? The world, whether they know it or not, the world is in an unstoppable freight train heading off the tracks. Those who are living for their own pleasure, their own wealth, and their own honor, they seek after it with everything they have because somewhere deep within their soul, because the Bible says that God has written eternity on our hearts, Somewhere deep in their soul, they know there will be a day of judgment and they're not going to be right before a holy God. Atheists can can smile and give you all these scientific explanations as, as if there is no God, but at the deepest part of their soul, which is made in the image of God, they know they're going to stand before him and they have a guilty sentence unless a Savior intervenes. You and I, if we're a Christian, Jesus has already intervened and he has said innocent and righteous. We are not guilty. There is not condemnation. We do not have to hide. We've overcome the final sentence. We've overcome eternal separation from a God who loves us, from a God who created us to be with him, and a God who through Christ is being reunited to us forever. Our peace is a result of reconciliation with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. You can only receive it because it's been secured by Jesus himself. And if you have peace with God, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? You know, those adoption papers, they're signed in permanent ink. The drops of blood from the cross at Calvary. When you are his, you are his. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When you belong to Jesus, it's a done deal. It is a done deal. You are an overcomer and you have peace no matter what the world throws at you. So let me sum this up in one sentence. In Christ, our peace does not eliminate the world's tribulation, but it enables us to overcome the world's condemnation. 
In Christ, our peace does not eliminate the world's tribulation, but it enables us to overcome the world's condemnation. If you are a Christian, I'm just telling you this, you should not fit in in this world. If everybody loves you, you're probably not living for Jesus. You start living for Jesus. You start getting sacrificial about the time and the money and the talents that you have, giving it to the kingdom, and just watch how the world is no longer impressed with you. You stand up for Jesus in social settings where things are being said that do not honor God and watch how the world will scheme against you. You stand up for purity and you refuse to have intimacy with someone outside the bonds of marriage. You'll see other friends who are cohabitating and living together. They don't want to be anywhere near you. You live for Jesus and you'll see how much the world does not live for Jesus and how the world will wholesale reject you. Jesus says, bank on it. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. He has overcome the world. In him you have peace. And you are an overcomer in Christ. All right, so condemnation that the world has before God, you don't have to worry about that. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And the condemnation the world has against you, you can turn the other cheek because it's only here for a season. It will come and it will go. I, I want to leave you with a sentence. I wanna, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon in a passing moment, but I want to I hunker down and I want to press this into your heart. I, I really want you to take this sentence with you when you leave today. If you are a Christian, you are an overcomer because you will outlive every problem you have. Hear that again. If you are a Christian, you are an overcomer because you will outlive every problem you have. I want you to think right now about the problems that you brought into this room, your physical problems. There is a day, it may be on the side of heaven, it may not, but there is a day where you will not be exhausted. You will not experience pain. You will not have memory loss. You will be fully restored. You will be glorified. The Bible says upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the dead in Christ will rise and those who are alive at the coming of the Lord Jesus will be changed in a moment. You will be glorified, perfect from head to toe, and I'm gonna need a resurrected set of eyeballs just to look at you. You'll overcome every physical pain you have. Relationally, God is going to restore broken relationships. You know what? I believe this. In heaven, the first hour is going to be a mixture of worshiping God and reconciling with those made in his image. All the broken relationships you have here on earth, there's going to be a lot of hugs and tears shared the first hour in heaven, and these relationships will be restored. Reputations. Who cares what the world thinks of you? You know, we ought to think less about what they say about us on our, at our deathbed and think more about what they're going to say about us when we arrive. I care more about the people who are at my greeting committee than those who are going to be my pallbearers. And I want you to think the same way. Who cares what my name is on this side of heaven? I, I want my name to be among the saints in Hebrews chapter 11 when I show up in heaven because that's the world I belong to. Because it says in Hebrews 11, they were looking to a better country because they knew they were going to have tribulation in this world. Jesus says, bank on it. But know this, I'll say it for the third time. If you are a Christian, you are an overcomer because you will outlive every problem you have. Jesus says, in me you will have peace. 
It's a peace that transcends understanding. And by the way, I say this in love. If you are not a Christian or if you said that you are a Christian but your life right now doesn't prove it, you can try as hard as you want. You won't have that peace. You can't create that peace. You can only receive it in Christ. So hear the loving and gentle and lowly heart of Jesus saying, repent and believe. Turn away from this world and turn towards Christ. Turn away from your sin and turn towards his open arms. Perhaps God has led you to the end of your rope because that's the only place that you're going to meet him. So meet him there today. And know that the day that you give your life to Christ, you have been declared in one word, overcomer. Let's pray. God, it's just so hard. So hard to break through the threshold of this world and see things from your perspective. God, just break us. Break us of the pursuit of the things of the world, of pleasure and wealth and honor that are going to lead to nothing. Help us to live as overcomers. Help us to have a peace in Christ that transcends understanding that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. I pray that in my own life, Lord. And I pray that for everybody in this room and the families they represent, Lord. Let us know that peace. Let us have that joy. Let us see every problem we have right now in its full restoration in your presence. And if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, Lord, I pray pray this in, in, in reverence. Make them miserable. Make them realize they cannot have peace. They're they're chasing after something the world cannot offer. And when they get to the end of their misery, let them get to the beginning of you with open arms. Let them know your love. And let them know your offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Be with us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.